Coffee Time Wednesdays with uh, the Prairie Farm Podcast. Can't hit us with the jingle. Welcome back to Coffee Time Wednesday on the Prairie Farm Podcast. Of course, brought to you by Hoxie Native Seeds times two. And times two because we recorded this earlier today and it... Tech issues. Tech issues. And we're going to blame Peyton because, you know what? Those tech issues happened when he walked in the door. Yeah, Peyton. Ah. So, we are going to present the ideas we presented earlier today. We're really experts now. We will not recycle <laughs> jokes. Uh, I, we might recycle jokes. I don't know. who's to, I don't even remember any of the jokes we told. <laughs> Kent and I are so melancholy. Guys, we, it is busy We're not melancholy. Here. We are mellow. We are, mellow. we are tired. This is our busy season. I, I've been shipping seed out the door and getting quotes out all day. I've got a wedding coming up, so I'm gone for the rest of the week. So I'm trying to get all of my, all of my uh, stuff done before then. Uh, and Kent has been napping in the afternoons. Uh, and while I'm just he naps, a little, he gets I'm just a little, tired. I'm just a little groggy. From, I just woke up. <laughs> no, I've been in a tractor for two days, which I like. Yeah, but, you look. You, but it's a lot of sun. You look like you are wearing mascara around your eyes right now. <laughs> that, was, that was another reason why I did not want to just do our little video feature that we just did with the neighbors because I think I look uh, pretty dirty right now. Yeah, but you do. I've been uh, – I should tell everybody what we're doing because yeah. it's interesting. So our – our <laughs> Nick, Nick was questioning whether or not it was interesting. But it is. It, our – Big blue stem fields especially. I think it can happen in other grass fields as well, but especially our big blue fields, after they've been, you know, seeded into that for years, they can get uh, what Carol calls root bound, where the roots just start to branch out underneath, you know, the surface of the soil, but kind of block the ability of more plants to come up and uh, the plants put more energy into supporting these uh, giant root systems than they do into seed production. And so from a prairie producer standpoint, it hurts because you have these acres that you're getting less product off of. And so and they're getting lazy, big blue stem. Like they're not, they don't have the urgency to reproduce. Right, right. And somebody might say, well, isn't that natural? And the answer to that is no. Uh the other half of the equation, this is one thing in the prairie restoration business a lot of people forget about is, um, yes, we're bringing back the uh, vegetation that was once here, but the wildlife that interacted with that vegetation was uh, the other part of the equation. And we do get, you know, pollinators that help and yeah. and. And but it's very hard and, to mimic bison, right? Full, you, you know, two thousand no pounds or elk, even for that. Or matter. elk, and so just as Nick's saying, these huge, heavy organisms that would graze these plants down and cause them to, you know, like in a survival mode, shoot up new life, try and put out more seed to replenish. Um, they their hooves would, you know, help break up uh, the soil around the plants and essentially do what we're doing right now. So we're we're actually having to rip at the soil and uh, do a little disking after we rip at the soil to kind of almost imitate what a huge herd of bison would do to these uh, production fields. So that's what I've been doing. And we're doing it in a fresh burn. <laughs> so fresh ash burn, yep. is flying everywhere. And it's and I got if the black you lung. are chiseling or aerating, if you do that too quickly, 
you dig too much so you can actually kill the big blue stem. So Kent is out there hoping to go at a snail's pace. Yep. He is going so slow. Yep. But uh, so that's what Kent's been doing. I have been uh, uh, mostly getting seed orders out. I mean, I'm yep. either answering emails, mixing seed, or getting it out there. And there are real big seed companies that have like uh, warehouse guys. One time I asked another company, hey, what's your employee footprint like? And they were like, not including the warehouse. I was like, my goodness, how, how many people work in your warehouse? And 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 it's a thing. Like, yeah, yeah, not not, not including the warehouse. Yeah, of course, yeah. of course. We totally. We have like thirty guys in our warehouse, and by thirty, I mean me and Ken and half of Peyton. Um, and so yeah, there's just a lot going on, and we're gearing up to go plant. Um, I think this coming week we're going to be doing our first planting, um, and we've got you know over a thousand acres close to of doing well we've got some jobs that are we're not sure if we've got them yet or not so we'll see but um yeah uh it's earlier good, it's good problems to have yeah good problems to have this is busy season we're just tired as, yeah we're mellow we don't have as many jokes my wife calls me in may and june she calls me boring nicholas because i like <laughs> don't have anything to contribute to conversations because i'm so like <laughs> you know yep uh but uh earlier kent went first and we're gonna keep that tradition with uh kent going first on his topic yeah nick's topic is uh definitely more like uh pizzazzy uh but mine is is an important thing to learn about because it's becoming more uh prevalent in conversation in the news and that's how i uh, heard about it and so i actually uh is an article from uh bbc and the article uh, was about um, uh, using mechanical devices to uh, directly take in atmosphere, so air, uh, and uh, pull the carbon out of them. Uh, so there's a, a term for this. They are called direct air capture devices. Okay, And uh, so in reading in the article, it talked about how it's going to be uh, pulling this this carbon dioxide in, and remember, carbon di- why carbon dioxide? Well, it is a greenhouse gas that we have influence over. Um, there's other greenhouse gases, especially water vapor, which in a way we could say we have some influence over as well, um, just not as directly as carbon dioxide. And methane would be another major one, and we do have influence over over that, but not in the quantities. Uh, near the quantity that we do with carbon dioxide. And so uh, these devices are intended to pull some of that carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. We don't want too much of a greenhouse effect and therefore warming our planet. And so um, these devices, they use different means. And I had to, I couldn't really find exactly um, the mechanism behind it in the, the first article I read from BBC. So the next one that I went to was by uh, a website I haven't seen before, but uh, it, it does seem to be a good resource. It's called American University. And uh, it, it says that there's a couple uh, ways that these uh, uh, direct air capture devices work. One is uh, the one that I, I expected to be. Uh, their main means, but it's not the only one I learned. And that is through uh, combining carbon dioxide with another chemical compound. The article didn't tell me what that 
compound was, but it's going to be something that can receive uh, that carbon dioxide molecule. And uh, so this compound is acting like a magnet in a way, right? There's going to be a chemical bond that takes place. Now, what may happen there is maybe the oxygen is released. Um, uh, and when the, and the carbon's pulled off of that and joins to this other compound, I'm not sure what the chemical reaction is, but it's, it's take it's able to pull that carbon dioxide out of the air by reacting it with another chemical. And, uh, so it's just like giant vats that they're sucking in carbon. And then when they push air out, there's less carbon in the air. Right. Right. Or, and as far as releasing air, um, everything that comes in may be converted to, well, there'll be other atmospheric gases, of course, that are pulled in as well. And those will flow through, uh, things like nitrous oxide or, uh, water vapor, like we talked about. Um, but, um, as far as carbon dioxide goes, what they're doing then is they're converting that carbon into a solid form within this new chemical compound. And they're basically making rocks and they're pumping those way under the earth, like deep down into the earth uh, and uh, just depositing them there forever unless somebody were to hmm. mine them out. But um, uh, the other means is by just going through a state change, meaning they're going to go from a gas all the way to a solid. And so think of like a good example of this would be uh, uh, like propane gas, right? Um, the way we store propane in tanks is uh, as a liquid, right? We can fit more in if we have it in a liquid form. If we can press those propane molecules down and put them into a liquid state instead of a gaseous state. Well, if we really uh, take away heat from the matter and go from that gas, not only freeze it into a, or sorry, condense it into a liquid, but freeze it into a solid, right? So, so the carbon, or it's the this bonded molecule plus car- carbon is getting frozen all the way to a solid? Um, I think in the chemical reaction uh, example, I think the product is a solid. Okay. But with the state change, they're just compressing it and pulling out. So they're, they're pulling heat from it and in doing so turning carbon dioxide into its solid state. And, mm, uh, again, like I think Bond that's going to be deposited, but I also read too, that sometimes, uh, whatever state it exists in or whatever compound it exists in after it's been pulled from the air, they can, take that product and they can uh, sell it for use in other ways. Like what? Which which is interesting to me because, uh, so one example was a product used in uh, greenhouses, basically for plant food. So so think about what in nature our direct air um, uh, absorbing mechanism that pulls uh, uh, carbon dioxide out of the air is going to be plants, right? Specifically, um, trees are the big one we think of because they're huge. So they can take in a lot mm-hmm. of carbon and they store a lot of carbon, but also think of like the oceans of prairie grasses and flowers that we had at one time. And like, I think it's like 80%. We looked this up once in this podcast. And I can't remember like 80% of all oxygen is produced. That's produced by plants is done by, uh, kelp. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. I'm wondering if the carbon dioxide or sorry, the, the carbon intake Uh, It's going to be huge, too, because that's the other part of the equation, right? For photosynthesis, you have to have an input of carbon dioxide. That's 
in a way the plant food mm. and then they as a waste product release oxygen okay so, so how does this help like so we have my wife was actually asking this the other day on the podcast oh we were listening about lisa cubic it was just released this past friday on carbon credits mm-hmm and she was she was saying, are plants the only thing that can pull in carbon? Humans have never made a machine for it. And you are literally answering your question right now. So we've made a machine that can right. pull in yeah, carbon. These, these direct air capture devices. And we make carbon ice cubes for people to drink, which is <laughs> well. Here, here's here's the thing too. You know, when in the the part that I read where it talked about making these other products that can then be so they call that carbon recycling, not carbon sequestration sequestration means you're pulling it out you're setting it on the shelf for an indefinite amount of time recycling means you're reusing it which you know that's good that's better than having to go mine more carbon or or you know pump yeah. more carbon out to use but at the same time you that carbon dioxide is going to end up back in the atmosphere when you use that product in, in most cases i would assume but unless, if you give it to unless plants- it was changed truly into a different and you're not oxidizing it is there um, any reason you couldn't just eat, bury it and it would well, that's what they're, break that's down? That's what they're doing. Well, oh. it wouldn't break down. It would just stay as that compound. It wouldn't break down into like other soils to like meld with well, the soil? Car- it'd be carbon-rich stuff, yeah. Hmm. You know, I, I saw recently, I think it was a Facebook reel. I don't know. All the reel apps meld together. Uh, someone was showing how to make... Um, a mushroom farm with like logs and stuff like mm. that. And they said after a few years, the logs basically are totally broken down by the fungus. And they said that that was the best compost that they found huh. for their garden was these like, were these like broken down logs and then they mixed it with other stuff. But I do wonder if these like ice, the, these like carbon cubes, these frozen carbon uh, and mystery molecule cubes could be used you know, could be just well, we could just well, stick and, back and, in the ground. And when I say frozen, remember we we associate that with frozen water. Yeah, which would we call ice. This isn't ice. This is just this goes from a gas to a solid. So its freezing point is anything's freezing point is when it goes back to a solid. You know what's weird to me is that when when if you think about molecules the hotter they are the more they move right and so they take up more space that's why gas takes up more space than a liquid which takes up which or a solid well with water yeah you've got a gas it, it's like expanding that's why it's mm-hmm. floating up it needs space then it's a liquid well if you freeze it where the molecules are moving way less it contracts until a certain point and then it expands. I do well, not understand when it, that. When it freezes, it expands. Yeah. Uh, it's because of the polar nature of, of water. It makes it, it makes it have all sorts of cool capabilities. Waters is a weird example of compounds for when you go through state changes, but it also has a lot of really important qualities. It's like the Mongols and you in, in world history, they like broke every history rule. Yeah, maybe so. Um, yeah, water is super useful because of its polarity. But that's a whole nother that's man, a whole nother can our of worms. biochem teacher over here. Man, you know what? Get get back in your Alice Chalmers. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm I'm taking over. I'm taking over. So earlier I was on the phone with a dear friend. In the last podcast we recorded, I called him a friend of me and Kent corrected me. He's more like uh uh a, a competitive, competitive friend. friend. Yeah, yeah. Like magic uh magic and larry bird uh well 
Uh, he, we, we were just chatting, and he said that the DNR recently in the Lust Hills were working on this project. It was like five or 600 acres where I will just say a fire happened to, by stance, burn down many hundreds of acres of forested area, but in the middle of a forested area. So they couldn't get equipment in it. So they contacted our friend Bill, uh, Bill Frederick. I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. I'm sorry, Bill, if I get that wrong. Uh, it, he is one of the co-founders of Iowa Cover Crop. You heard his partner on a different episode of ours, um, uh, James Holes. Yep. And he plants Cover Crop by flying it on. Well, uh, for the first time that I know of, as in a, this large of an area, they experimented with flying native seed over, mixed it with oats, um, and that is awesome. And and a couple years ago, I actually looked at doing that with drones. But to like get into the drone ag drone business, you're looking at like forty thousand dollars of equipment plus classes and licensing, yeah. and which which is totally fine. If you know what you're doing and you've got like $50,000 set aside to jump into it, I, I actually think for anyone listening, it is a really good business model because it is so much more efficient. But if I'm not sure it's going to work for seedings, I'm not going to spend $50,000 on it. Uh, so I asked Bill, how'd it go? How'd it work? And he said, call me in two years. <laughs> we'll see. How so really cool. I mean, yeah. I mean, just to fly natives on, um, a little different that, I mean, that's not, uh, that's not bison or the wind, you know, for how they yeah. would naturally do it, but you get oats on there and they're falling. I hope, I don't know how high they fly above the ground, but I think it's fascinating because with drones, you get. If someone calls me from an hour and a half away and they've got five acres, I have and they want us to plant it. I usually say no or I tell them, hey, you're not going to like my price because an hour and a half away, we have to charge you hundreds of dollars just yep. to get there with a giant tractor. Uh, yep. But if I could throw a drone in the back of my pickup, well, then that's a very different story. You're an hour and a half away. OK, 100 bucks for me to show up plus whatever acres it costs. So, um, I, I like the idea of actually flying it on. I think it's a cool idea. We had, um, gentleman, uh, Ooh, what was his name? We've, we've actually talked to him about being on the podcast, Brett Morris, who's really into whitetail hunting. And, and he has a really cool property, lots of timber. He's, re- he's been fixing it up really well. Great food plots, great native areas. And there was an area with some trees and we ended up being able to get a tractor into it, but we were looking at it, exploring with, with drones and uh and i just find that so fascinating because if you could fly things on with drones that would that would change the game now something you're you got to be thinking is that i don't know how much drones can carry but every acre you're looking at five to 12 pounds of seed Mm. so Mm. if a drone can carry 30 acres or 30 pounds i mean and in three and you can do three acres in 20 minutes that's probably worth it at that point yeah uh, but then you got all sorts of complications. Like you got the batteries that heat up when you use them. And as soon as you change out a battery, you got to put the one that you just had in a freezer. So mm. you got to carry a freezer and a generator with you. And, and so th- there's just a lot to the, a lot to the game. You know, it's probably like most things when the time when it, when all that extra stuff gets a lot easier 
is the time that it's almost too late to really, you know, like oh, yeah. capitalize on it financially as a business because everybody's doing it by that point. But if you want to make, I heard this once, if you want to make a lot of money in a business or uh, you have to do one of two things, you have to be one of the first people in it, which means crazy risk, or you have to do it better than everyone else is willing to do it. And that means way more work than yeah. other people want to are they putting in nine hours a day you got to put in 12 you know so yep. either way it's a sacrifice you can live your comfy life and make your 60 a year or you can uh uh or you know you could take the risk or do the extra work and it just depends on what you want out of life you yeah know? yep no i think i think uh the drone thing is uh, pretty interesting and um you know we talked about autonomous uh vehicles being being a, or autonomous farm farming equipment being a part of the future for agriculture i imagine the same thing will happen with drones at some point um but you know it is nice to know that for now people are still at least controlling the drones yeah yeah <laughs> you know i've got a, a family member through marriage and he's got one of the coolest jobs i've ever heard of he lives in southern california and he gets in this giant like video game box he like gets in each each and it like closes around him he's got these screens and then he's got a drone in france so he's works for the military he's got a drone in i believe france and there's a team of guys who take care of his drones it's like a really high dollar nick's drone. divulging classified information right now <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. he's getting his he's getting his uh family member oh big my trouble. goodness i do wonder i'm like what is state of the art because by the time we've heard it it's been out for like 12 yeah. years you know what i mean yep. like the government's got stuff that's like way up there that we don't even we couldn't even pretend to know about it's weird because we're I mean, we, we, you guys have heard Laura Walter on this podcast and, um, Tabitha Panis and, um, Chris Helzer. Those are like the groundbreaking people in Prairie, but there is way less money in Prairie than there is in technological advancement, yeah. you know, so that it's just crazy how, that, how fast that being said, that being said, Nick, if you had one of those state of the art drones for seeding Prairie, what would be. You're either awesome or, I don't know, just uh, like life changing, unintended use that you would oh, uh, that you would uh, well a that, little while put ago, that bad boy to use for. A little while ago, I was at a soccer game, and I won't say where it was, but we uh, the high school kids I was there for were were the away team, so we were at someone else's home turf, and the other the other team's parents were heckling us just for sitting on their side. I think what I'd do is I'd find out where they live, and in the middle of the night while they're sleeping, I'd fly the drone right above their house because drones aren't quiet when you're when you're near yeah. them, especially an ag drone that's like four foot by four foot. They're loud, and I would just have it right above their house, and then as soon as police show up, you just zoom right on up and out of there. <laughs> and two hours later, when the police leave, you go right back, and you just. <laughs> Uh, it's called forgiveness. <laughs> and apparently I don't have it. Nick would use it for revenge. <laughs> so there, you, there you go. And for planting prairie, probably. Um, but yeah, guys, I forgot to mention this at the beginning. Peyton Scandridge could not make it here with us today. He is also a busy guy. So uh, Kent and I held it down by ourselves. It was about half as funny as it normally is. No, it was it's still a good conversation. We're just very mellow right now. But we got a lot going on here at Hoxie. So this is a good time to uh, make sure you remember that we are presented by Hoxie Native Seeds. If you ever have any need for backyard pollinator, or maybe you own some land and need to put in some CRP uh, 
mixes on your ground, or maybe you're a hunter and you want uh, a hunting mix, whatever it is, we got you. Make sure you head over to hoxynativeseeds.com or theprairiefarm.com. And if you have not yet left a five-star review, we really like those. They help get the word out. Here's the new thing, guys. If you give us a five-star review. And a written review. And a written review. You will be put in. And you have to send us a screenshot. So we know who it is. We have you got to send us a screenshot. I'm sorry. Um, uh, over email is probably the best way to do it. Just visit us at theprairiefarm.com or hoxynativeseeds.com. Shoot us an email of your screenshot of your review. You'll be put in for a drawing for both a hat and a shirt. A shirt of the Prairie Farm podcast and a hat of Hoxie Native Seeds. And a couple other fun surprises will be thrown in there. Be put in the drawing, but you got to leave the review. So uh, do that. We want to hear from you. And, and yes. here's the deal. If it's not a five-star for for you, don't put that on there. But email us. Say, hey, this is this is what I think you guys could change about your, your podcast. Whether it's the way we present our content or what we're talking about. or We do want to hear from you guys. So we do get emails it's the best part, from some of you. Hearing from, hearing from our listeners. That's seriously oh, yeah. the best part. Yeah. So, all right. We've plugged hard enough. Thanks for hanging out. We'll talk to you again soon.